Great thing about a NASCAR wreck is when they actually walk away from it when it's all said and done, and, and they're okay, and the crowd goes wild. Now, what does that have to do with stand down or stand your ground? It's kind of simple, because in NASCAR, there, there's a process to that. Uh, sometimes you need, to, you need to set back, and you need to draft a little bit, and you need to be in a good place. Sometimes, usually when, when, the, when the worst wrecks happen, it has to do with somebody jumping out before they should have, and they, they should have stood down just a little bit. They should have just a little bit more patient, wait until they got all the way around the corner, and then drop down for an in-lane pass or, or swoop up high on the bank or whatever it is they're going to do. Saw the same thing. Any fans of uh, Olympic skating? Yeah, me neither. Um, but <laughs> nothing else on right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's fun to watch. But they were doing the speed skating last night, the same thing. The, the, the girl from, from America, she was like in third place. She was, she was getting ready to make her move, and as she stepped out, the girl behind her came in to make her move, but she should have waited because she clipped one of those little stumps, and she slid out and took out like four racers, and that was it. And it's all about patience. You, you stand your ground or you stand down, and sometimes we need to learn that, like in NASCAR, like in skating, like in life. Sometimes we just need to back off a little bit and see how things come on around the corner, and then it's time to stand up. With all that being said, I need to tell you a story. When Dylan was about 18 months old, we traveled out west to attend the North American Christian Convention. It was being held in Arizona, but we flew into California and spent a couple days there because I'd never been to California, and I thought, hey, we'll go to California, we'll hang out, we'll drive to Arizona, it'll be great. And that's what we did. While we were there, we stayed at Legoland for a day. And I don't know if you've ever been to Legoland in California, but let me tell you, it's a magical place. Almost as magical as Disney uh, for our family that day. Because what happened at Legoland in California was a friendship was born. And it happened in the most unlikely of places. It happened in the gift shop of all places. We told Dylan that he could pick out one thing. He's 18 months old. He's toddling. He's starting to talk a little bit. He picked out this. Um, it doesn't look like much now, but back then it, it was beautiful. It was a golden yellow back then. <laughs> back then it had deep black stripes. Uh, by the way, this is a tiger. It's not a puppy, okay? <laughs> and if you look closely, he still has some stripes on his face, but, and, and like a couple right here, but this, this thing was, was amazing. It was vibrant, and it was beautiful to look at. And he picked that out, and I even took it away from him, and he was walking around, and I, and I kind of slipped it back in the bin. And I, and I was like, let's look at other stuff. And he looked at other stuff. A couple different times, he went right back and picked out this. And I moved it around. I was like, you don't want... And, and I tried, no, he went back to this thing, this tiger, every time. And what he did, shouldn't have surprised us, but it did. He finally, he picked it out, and he said, Mine. <laughs> And everywhere that we went, that trip, people would say to him, what a cute little tiger. What's his name? To which Dylan would reply, mine. <laughs> this tiger's name was and is mine, okay? And this tiger has been all over the place. He's been to Haiti, all right? He's, he's been in surgeries. He's been in emergency rooms. He's been in car wrecks. Uh, he's been left once or twice, and we've had to go back and get him mine the stories this thing could tell you know over time dylan's had other things other games other toys but he's only had one mine 
And, and now I'll, I'll be honest, Dylan's 10. He's growing up. It's like Toy Story happening for real in our house, you know, because he's getting too cool for these things. And, and I realized this last year, especially, I was like, man, he doesn't go out as much. He doesn't travel as much. He he's kind of hangs out in the room, you know, I guess with the other toys doing the things they do when we're not at home. <laughs> Think back to when you were younger, though. What made you call mine most often? What was the thing, if you had brothers or sisters, or uh, for me, we had cousins that we hung out with a lot, and there was a lot of that going on. That's mine. Give it back. What, what made you call mine most often? But then think about today. With all the maturity that you have right now, at this very moment, what makes you call mine most often now as an adult? You know, it's cute and it's sometimes even funny when two kids, they get going back and forth about something. Mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. They go back and forth. Exactly. (laughs) But it's not that cute when adults do it. It's even less cute when Christian adults do it. But it still happens from time to time. We get in that place where we're like, this is mine and I'm not going to give it up. Unfortunately, it seems that we still take that opportunity when we, should, we stand our ground and we scream out, mine, before we stand down. And regardless of the issue, and more times than we'd like to admit, we allow the collision course to be the only course we travel because of mine. And today, I want to share with you about a man who had every right to stand his ground, every right to say, this is mine, but instead he chose to stand down. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you again just for the opportunity to, to be here to worship, to share, to fellowship, to learn, to sharpen one another, to, to make accountabilities. Uh, Lord, as, as we look at your word today, as we look at Abram, I pray that something about this story will strike a chord in our hearts where we'll realize that even though we may have the right to say mine, sometimes we're better off to stand down and let you come back around and work. Help us to not get in the way of what you're doing in our lives, but help us to, to allow you to be who you are to us and, and to submit to that, to submit to you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 13, if you would. Um, I want to share with you about Abram and Lot. Um, there, there are a lot of different stories about Abram and Lot, but starting in, in Genesis chapter 13, um, we're going to start with verse 1, and, and I'm going to kind of put together a bit of a scenario for you, and, and we're going to talk it through a little bit. Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, he and his wife and all that belonged to him, and Lot with him. Lot was his nephew, by the way, just so, so you're, we're on the same page there. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. He went on his journeys from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai to the place of the altar which he had made there formally. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Verse 5. Now Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. And the land could not sustain them while dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to remain together. Verse 7, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. Now the Canaanite and the Perizzites were dwelling then in the land also. So here's the thing. 
They've got so much stuff between these two families that the, basically the shepherds are starting to fight. Now, some versions use the word quarreling, but either way, the Hebrew word that's used here actually describes a public legal dispute or a strife between two hostile parties. So this wasn't just, hey, get your sheep off my land. These shepherds were at each other, and it was getting ugly. Both sides not willing to give in, both sides thinking they had more right than the other to say mine over the land that they were on. But both sides forgetting it all belonged to God. We're going to continue verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Please go separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. Or if to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, I appreciate the maturity of Abraham or of Abram here because he, he, he could say mine, but he says, please, let there be no strife between you and I. We're family, Lot. His words are a picture of what faith should produce in a believer when we find ourselves on a collision course like this. See, humility shows in our hearts when a Christ follower can say like Abram, what's God's way of solving this problem? What, what's most important here? What is the greatest answer to this conflict? Sometimes, like with Abram and Lot, the best option may be to put aside our interest and let the other person win. That's what Abram did here. I know it's natural, it's natural for us to hold on to the things we want, and it's mine whenever a collision occurs. Whenever we try, even when we try to preserve relationships, we still tend to think, if I don't look after my own interest, if I don't look after mine, who will? Well, God will. You see, compromise can sometimes be the best option. Think about this. When, when we consider the interest of others, we can receive the greater benefit of strengthening the relationship. You know that sometimes I'm a fan of what the Bible doesn't say, and I want to talk about that here for just a second because there are a lot of things Abram could have said and could have done, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, at this point. And what Abram doesn't do, he doesn't pull rank on Lot, so to speak. He doesn't play the cultural card. In that culture, the older men especially were, were revered and looked up to. He doesn't say, listen here, you little ingrate. I'm the patriarch around here. If it weren't for me, you'd still be doing your chores at your daddy's tent. I brought you out here. I helped you get established. Because that's what he did. Oh, he, brought, he brought Lot out. He didn't say that. Abram didn't say, hey, pal, who's the one that God said, I will show you the land that you will inhabit? Who is the one that God made promises great things to and, and about a great family? You? No, that was me. He didn't say that. He didn't do that. He could have pulled rank by age. He could have pulled rank by playing the I'm blessed by God card. Or he could have just straight up said, okay, Lot, your people against my people. Big old desert pillow fight. Winner takes all. Okay, maybe not that one. But you see what I'm getting at here. There were a lot of things that Abram could have said and could have done. And he literally had every God-given right to say, hey, Lot, what you're standing on right here, right now, yeah, Lot, that's mine. He could have said that. Because God had told Abram, I will take you. I will show you the land that you will inhabit. But instead, he said to Lot, you pick. You pick, buddy. I know, I could, I could pick, but you pick. If you go left, I'll go right. If you go right, I'll go left. I love you enough to let you go, Lot. And this is one of the first examples we have in Scripture of loving someone to the door, if you will. Sometimes we just can't seem to agree on stuff, and that's okay. But if it's not an eternal issue, if it's not a scriptural issue, if it's preference, if it's idea, and these things have been honorably discussed between the people, 
It's okay to part as friends and move on. Remember this. Abram told Lot, you pick and you leave, and I'll go the opposite direction. He didn't say, by the way, I hate your guts. I'll never see you again. All right? Abram still loved Lot. Later on, he even persuades with the Lord not to destroy Sodom on Lot's behalf. He goes to that countdown. What if there are 50 great people, 50 righteous people? What if there are 30? What if there are 20? What if there are 10? How about you just go get your family and, and I'll spare him, <laughs> okay? That's how it went down. Abram loved Lot. Sometimes we need to remember that in this process of going separate ways. The thing we really need to remember is preference is one thing, but biblical truth should never be compromised in that type of a process. Lot, lifted up his eyes and saw, verse 10, all the valley of the Jordan. He saw that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zohar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley and moved his tents as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now, this is where we see that Lot may have chosen poorly. He went with what he could see. Some would have said that Abram was a fool because he let his ungrateful nephew nephew choose first. Of course, someone like Lot would take the best pasture land with the greenest grass and the excuse me, the convenient location to town. But Lot chose with his eyes. And here's one of the things I like about Abram. Abram chose with his faith. Because Abram believed that God would provide for his family and his animals no matter what the land looked like. And he did. Verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which you see, I will give it to you and to your descendants forever. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, then your descendants can also be numbered. Arise, walk about the land through its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and became and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which are in Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Look, Abram ultimately gained so much more than he sacrificed with Lot. His intentionality is an example of Jesus, who seemed to give up everything. Jesus allowed himself to be arrested. He didn't defend himself, his seemingly defenseless position. He didn't defend it. However, he achieved what he achieved was salvation for all who believe in him and are baptized according to Scripture for the forgiveness of our sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Abram humbled or humbly offered Lot the best of the land. And in doing this, he trusted God to care for him regardless of the current land situation. When you, when you add it up with your eyes and, and your calculator and there's all these sheep and all these cattle and all these animals, well, there's just not enough land. So they start fighting against each other and, and Abram says, no, no, let's not fight. You pick. And, and he gave Lot the best land. And in doing this, Abram trusted God to care for him regardless. Because Abram, the man of faith, knew that if he was to be a man who trusted God, that he would not be able to rest on his own strength. He would not be able to rest on his mind. Mine. He can't. You know, the story of, of Abram and Lot, it kind of reminds me of the challenge that 
is given to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 13. Be like Christ. Verse 1 says, Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. That purpose is not mine. That purpose is His. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do you see that? That's what Abram did right there. Regarded Lot as more important than himself, and God blessed him abundantly for it. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Sometimes that's the hardest thing to do, is to look out for the interest of of someone else, especially if I don't think they have my best interest in mind. I want to say mine. I want to protect what's mine. I want to take care of what's mine. And sometimes we need to stand down. Verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are on earth, who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory to the glory of God the Father. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You know, those first five verses, that's what Abram did. This is what we should do. Instead of calling mine, we should do this. This is what we're going to focus on. If you want to experience God in 2014, we need to set ourselves aside and we need to focus on these five verses. I hope you go back and look at them this week. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Look to your left and your right real quick. If somebody's asleep, nudge them. The people to your left and your right, you need to consider, you need to consider them more than you consider yourself. You need to consider their interests more than you consider your own personal interests. You need to be more concerned for them than you are for yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interest, but also for the interest of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Look, conflict happens. It's, it's a messed up world we live in, and I understand that. Collision happens. But when it does, we, we should have a plan for it. We should have a plan for handling it in a way that honors God. And the best way to have a plan is to do it before you get all cranked up with confusion and, and being conflicted. It should, it should get set up before the conflict arises so that what we're acting on is, is right and honorable rather than acting on emotions from the, from the moment. 
There's three things we need to consider before conflict arises so that we can avoid the collision course of conflict. First off, we need to focus on the end result. Evaluate what really matters in the long run and work towards that. Next thing is we should humble ourselves. We should listen to the other person better. Like Abram listened a lot. And then when we do speak, we should speak with humility. If we are truly trying to follow the advice given to us in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, then we will seek to heal relationships. I want to challenge you to seek out someone who's been a casualty of a collision with you this year. Where you yelled mine first and stood on that ground. As we prepare for our response time, I want you to kind of start thinking along those lines. Consider a response of reconciliation with someone. In just a moment, Scott's going to be sharing a communion thought with us. And as we come to this time, respond to what you've heard and to what you will hear from Scott. Ask you to think on these things. Your response today may be multifaceted. There may be several responses that you have. It may be to act on what you've heard today and you'd like to come forward and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ through baptism. It's a great response. Maybe your response is one of of repentance and rededication so that you can go out and you can begin to heal that relationship. Maybe you need to heal yourself before God first. That's, again, another great response. Maybe your response is that I can't do this on my own and you're gonna, you want to partner with us so that you can move forward being a conflict, a, a person who, who is a conflict um, resolution, have a conflict resolution and not headed on a collision course. But I want to challenge you also, Christian, right now. As you hear the words that Scott will share, use them to examine yourself against Scripture. As you do that, let your response today be one of gratefulness for the forgiveness we have in Christ. And as you're ready, come forward and and have communion. Scott.